This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for online creatives. This is episode 15 with me, Sarah Tasker. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 15. First up, I have to tell you about an upcoming episode I'm doing where I'm going to be answering your questions. It actually might even end up being a couple of episodes because I've already had a load of amazing questions sent through. If you've not sent me yours yet and you'd like to, you can either do it on Instagram where I'm at me underscore and underscore Orla or over on Twitter where I'm at me and Orla. I'm making a note of every single question so that I can be sure that I cover them either in the Q&A episodes or in an episode of their own or in some other way that's most helpful to you. Secondly, I've had a lot of people asking me about the recent happenings with Instagram in relation to this whole shadow banning possible glitch so I've written a blog post on this and I've actually just updated it again in the last couple of days with an official statement I got from someone at Instagram so if you're worried about that at all you can find the post on my blog which is meanola.co.uk and I will link directly to it in the show notes for this episode too. Okay, so on to today's conversation. Today I am joined by Sally Gertine, aka the Cafe Cat. Sally is a social media manager whose past clients include Cafe Nero, Selfridges, Lint and lots more. And in those roles, she's been responsible for blogger outreach and social media campaigns, including any sponsored content with influencers on Instagram and beyond. So I asked her to come onto the podcast really to give us the inside scoop on that whole process. What are the brands thinking? What are they looking for? What turns them on and off? So if you're an influencer or thinking you'd quite like to maybe become an influencer, this is going to be essential information. And I think it's equally useful if you have a business or if you're even considering using influencer marketing at some point down the line. As part of the episode, I mentioned it briefly while we're talking, I have put together a downloadable sample media kit for anyone who wants to put one together. You can get that at the same link as the show notes, which is meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 15. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's talk to Sally. Hi, Sally. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Just chilling out in my flat this morning, which is really nice. What are you up to? I'm just chatting to you in my kitchen on a lovely sunny day. Wow, very nice. Well, it's disgusting down here, so you're very lucky. (laughs) Well, hopefully we can bring a bit of sunshine to your day. Hopefully. So can you tell everybody about what it is you do? Great, thanks. Yes, so um, in my spare time, uh, I blog and write at The Cafe Cat, which is a mixture of kind of cafe reviews and long walks and really bad draft poetry. <laughs> and then professionally, I work for a tea company uh, that you may have heard of called Jing Tea. So we supply tea to over 70 Michelin star restaurants and hotels around the world. But we also retail online um, and we have very delicious single origin tea. I am their master storyteller, which is quite a curious job title. <laughs> but it's basically a way to encapsulate the fact that I work across marketing and I work with anything story related so whether that's um, an interview with a tea picker in the gardens in China or whether that's working with an influencer in London around mindfulness and drinking tea that's pretty much what I'm responsible for so it's a really great job and means I get to work with lots of really uh, interesting and lovely people such as yourself and (laughs) others out there. And one of the things that I think is really nice about your approach is because obviously you've worked as an influencer yourself and you've worked for lots of other companies as well. Um, You really get how the system works. You understand what it's like from kind of both sides of the coin, I suppose. Yeah, I do. It's actually always been really interesting because I've been doing this for about five years and it's just amazing to see how much it's changed from the beginning to now and how huge digital marketing um, and influencer strategies are compared to what they were five years ago when you kind of had to fight tooth and nail to get any kind of budget or the or companies on your side to work. Whereas now it's a huge, huge part of every company's uh, marketing strategy, or at least it should be, because it's so powerful and it's so interesting and it's such rich content. It's so nice that the consumer and the influencer has been given a voice rather than just the the brand kind of promotion themselves to you all the time. I think it's been an amazing revolution. Yeah, I totally agree. It feels like a much more sort of democratic way yes. <laughs> of products and things getting airtime because in the end it comes down to real people saying yes or no, which is something that wasn't happening. You know, In the world of glossy magazines, it's all about how much money you've got and whether anything makes it into a good review or whether it makes it into you know actual editorial 
world is still down to budget whereas obviously online it's much more it's more about whether people genuinely like the product or not exactly yeah and I think the opportunity to be able to create content like that now is yeah it's so valuable and and so much more endearing as a customer or for the customer yes absolutely so the reason we thought it would be really useful to chat today was I know that lots and lots of people listening are either doing a little bit of influencer work or would quite like to be doing some influencer work at some point Mm. with their platforms so I wondered if you would be able to share with us kind of what it's like from your side of things Mm. so first of all what it is you look for when you're choosing an influencer to work with yeah okay great well I think the first thing for me is that whenever I, I always kind of chuckle when I read the expression kind of brands and influencers or even when I say the word influencer I, I always it always makes me laugh because I think actually influence is such a it is a good word but it, it's such a silly word because the brand is human and the influencer is human so I like to see it more as kind of human to human rather than brand to influencer because it's it's just so much um warmer to say yeah. human to human so for me the way that I work with influencers is the way that I would work with any brand so I, that's the way I try to kind of always proceed so what I tend to do and this I think this works for me, and it works for the other side of the coin as well. So from the brand point of view, one of the things I always do is sit down and create, like kind of create a pool of everyone that I want to work with and then tier them into different sections. So for example, I tend to work around three different tiers. So the top level tier would be people who I consider ambassadors. So they're very on brand, they have a good and engaged following, they're relevant, we have a similar aesthetic. And with them, I'm looking for opportunities that are really flexible so and really mutual. So it might be leading a workshop with them or uh, giving them authorship to uh, our social or the blog and vice versa. And this relationship to me is really, really special. And it's something that I really try and take the time to work with and on. And then the second tier that I look at is kind of ongoing partnerships. So ones that, again, I really, really like are on brand are really great people to work with but maybe you wouldn't do uh, I don't know an Instagram takeover with them for example mm. but you definitely work with them ongoing on really beautiful interesting seasonal content and it's kind of like a, an ongoing partnership and then the third level I look at is maybe um, the new or emerging opportunities so it might be testing new partners and themes it might be something that's a one-off it might be something that's just particularly on trend at that time but maybe I wouldn't necessarily work with again and again and again. It's just something that's worth testing and exploring, and then they can move up through the tiers. So taking the time to do that really helps me um, decide on campaigns and where I want to go with them and who I want to work with, and it kind of cuts out all of the kind of fretting. If they're in a particular tier, I know exactly what I want to do with them and where the opportunity is. And then another thing I think is really important is to take the time to research the people that I work with. So I do things like sign up to their newsletter, I read their blog, I look at their social and their engagement, I look at who they're working with, I take the time to talk to them. So I, I mean, these things are what I do as a brand person, but as an influencer, they very much apply coming back the same way. So for the brands that you want to work with, and I'm sure most of you already do, it's just taking that time to really research and get to know that brand relevant to the tier that you might have put them in, which is that ambassador level the ongoing partnership or the new or emerging opportunity. Yeah, it's amazing the number of people who, the number of big brands especially, who will get in touch who haven't done that basic level of research about you. Yeah. So sometimes I'll get emails saying, hi Orla, and I think if you can't <laughs> even read my name, yeah. don't expect me to believe that you love my content and you think we're perfect for each other because you clearly haven't done any research. So I think, yeah, like you say, it works both ways. And whenever I've been cold pitching to a brand, finding a real person's name, if that means digging around on their Facebook, book or going onto LinkedIn or really doing a bit of Google searching it can make such a difference to actually show that you've done the groundwork and that you're taking the pitch seriously whichever way it's going. Exactly and like it, it is hard work and sometimes there are times when I have to just get the job done and I might just send out a quick email but it's never the same or never as valuable as when I actually take the time to sit down put people into tears do my research and then actually get to know them and speak to them as a person and almost as a new friend first and foremost and then to kind of come with the with the idea of the campaign because it's a bit weird just to be a little bit like hey do you want to do this when you know nothing about each other so actually taking the time to say hello how are you and say something I don't know even kind of funny or or charming or more human than just let's work together on this I think it really 
makes a massive difference in the long run. I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that you mentioned there was sort of trying people out maybe at that earlier stage. Mm. How do you know when you can trust an influencer? Like when you're going to trust them with a bigger campaign or not? What factors influence that? If I'm completely honest, it's probably more just to do with how I gel with them and like how beyond the kind of business side of it, how the rapport is and how the how the conversation how the conversation is and how I feel about them as a person. Of course there are times when maybe there's certain people who I wouldn't be friends with in real life, but working with them is a good opportunity and we have the same objectives and it's still a perfectly lovely working relationship. But really for me it's just I think it really I'm only speaking for myself. I can't speak for every kind of brand or person in my role. But someone who I feel is a at least a friend on some level. Um and there's some there's a mutual respect and value there between us that's for me is the most important thing whether it's someone who's a a huge powerful influencer or someone who's just emerging I think for me knowing that I can talk to them human to human rather than brand to influencer is what helps me make my decision and makes me want to work with people that makes sense as well because in my experience people doing your job tend to be very sociable people there's something about social media Mm. that tends to appeal to people with nice social skills who find that kind of conversation you know enjoyable Mm. so yeah the best relationships and the best ongoing partnerships I've had have always been with people where the emails end up being quite chatty and quite funny Mm. and you look forward to replying to them yeah and that ongoing relationship that then forms is both a work relationship but on some level it is almost a social relationship which is not to say that they're necessarily going to send me Christmas cards no (laughs) although it would be nice yeah well actually a lot of brands do so I don't send them one though maybe I should but yeah that it's you know they'll check in and they'll say how is that thing worked out and it's kind of an ongoing relationship instead of it just being purely a business partnership exactly yeah exactly so some of the things that I sometimes say to clients I'm working with when they're looking to do influencer work in terms of building that trust and that I'm interested to hear your take on these other factors Mm. one of the things is having worked with other brands previously so whether do you ever look to see if they I guess if you're looking for one of them the more high value campaigns where you're maybe going to be paying for content or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah how important is it to you to see that they've worked with another brand that you recognize or are you willing to take a punt on somebody who's completely untested Mm-mm. I think I would come back to my tiering so yeah. if it was someone of a kind of brand ambassador level then absolutely but if it was more of a new or emerging opportunity I might be slightly more wary or put it on hold sure. for a while just just until I feel more confident about it yeah one of the few reasons I will say to people that it's sometimes acceptable to work for free is if you're just starting out mm. to show that you deliver because obviously for brands to trust you to send you product and uh, potentially to give you access to their social media channels or whatever else Mm. they need to know that you are a professional and that you actually deliver on what you say you're going to do so if you can you can show that you've done something for another brand previously even if you weren't paid for that Mm. it just gives them that security I think doesn't it yeah and especially going back to what you say about kind of emerging influences and, and doing that as a way to demonstrate trust or evidence that's really important because I mean there's sometimes I will approach someone to work with and they'll quote me a certain price and I'll say well do you have anything else you can show me that you've done that's similar or can you tell me the stats that came from that or tell me what the sentiment was how it was received what kind of what people said how you felt about it and if someone can't give me that evidence it's really hard it's because for me I want to work with everyone and I want to pay everyone but I have quite a small budget and a small team and I have to report back on those opportunities and why they're really great and we should definitely go for them and for me to be able to if I say I just feel like we should work with them it's not going to wash whereas if I say uh I mean even if I do feel that way (laughs) if I can say oh they did this competition and it resulted in this or it felt really good and it had this really nice feedback or um, the photography was really beautiful that gives me much more of a chance to be able to kind of go back and apply for what I need and get sign off on what I need so evidence whether you're emerging or larger is, is yeah really valuable and when I know that it's difficult when you're emerging because you don't have so much to show but for example working maybe for free or working in a way that's still mutually um, benefits you with that brand is really useful to then go on to unlock 
the doors to other opportunities. Absolutely. And also, particularly with things like Instagram influencing, quite often you can work in exchange for product at first, which again mm. is, it doesn't pay the bills. And there's a point where you have to say no to those opportunities. But when you're first starting out, especially if you have a day job and it's kind of just a supplement to whatever else you're doing, it can feel quite mm. nice to get, you know, free products, something you would have bought. Mm. In the UK, you don't have to declare that for tax purposes because it's classed as a gift. So it can be, yeah, mutually beneficial without any money having to exchange hands. And you, of course, also get that opportunity to show what you can do which is a foot in the door with lots of companies and it also kind of shows that you're for me sometimes like I will send product to people that I haven't worked with before and there's no obligation behind them doing anything with it it is more of a gift and it's just to kind of show them what Jing Tea is all about and some of them will then go on because they're so excited by it to write about it or Instagram it and use it and for me that's amazing that's like a green light to okay now I know that you love the brand now I know that you can do beautiful work I can take that back and and plan that into my ongoing campaigns and then actually look to get budget to do something more comprehensive so there's also that side of it as well with one particular brand it's kind of like yeah just to show that it's been well received and like to give the green light to go ahead and that it's it's going to be beautiful basically because it's a business decision ultimately yes massively you always have to justify it in terms of stats like what is it you're looking for when you're looking at somebody's stats on each of those three tiers I suppose because I think people get really stuck on this issue of how many followers do I need before I can do influencer work or how many blog visits do I need Mm. but are you looking in those in such specific terms I personally am not and again I can't speak for other people in a similar role to me I I kind of work on instinct so I of course having a big following is really I, I guess from that ambassador level what I'd be looking for is yes a good following yes they have good engagement yes their website uh, is like authoritative and strong and good looking and actually you were talking with Kat a few weeks ago on the podcast about why blogging is still relevant. Mm. For me, at least, blogging is still really, really important because that content is evergreen and it will get visited time and time again. And it does send authority back to areas of our website that would be really important to us. So I do look overall at that kind of I do look at the following and the stats. But for me, it really is just an instinct on whether or not I think that person is a friend of the there's a mutual benefit there rather than just a business partnership if that makes sense absolutely because you can get people who have got the highest stats but that doesn't necessarily mean that their audience is appropriate or their tone is appropriate or even that it's a genuine following yeah exactly I I do have to kind of look at those stats because again it is a business decision so I do have to be able to take something back and say this one thing is why and it might be this person has a huge following and great engagement or it might be their photography is incredible or it might be the way they write is just so beautiful and it's so on brand and it really it really is a, a harmony between us. So there's lots of different reasons. But I think, again, having uh, those tiers and certain things within that will help push people into different levels. So an ambassador would be someone, I think, for me, not just with a good following because following schmollowing, they have to have, <laughs> <laughs> they have, to have really great uh, engagement as well and a really relevant audience. So, yeah, I think above all for me, whether you have 10 followers or 100,000, it's the level of engagement from those people. That's the kind of icing on the cake for me. Yes. And all of this just goes to show, I think, kind of reinforce that message of how important it is to be conversational, to be authentic in whatever it is you're doing online. Like there's a real trap that people fall into where they try and become almost a little bit corporate in their own tone. So they speak about themselves maybe as we when it's just them or, (laughs) you know, they kind of write, I sometimes call them like they're like John Lewis descriptions for their Instagram pictures. They're very formal and cold and kind of impersonal. But all the things you're talking about, you're looking for that human connection. You're looking for that conversation and that comes from just being yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. So beyond that engagement, I suppose it is about people being themselves but when people are themselves that's what gets the most genuine and engaged response absolutely and if you want John Lewis you go to John Lewis you don't go to a blogger or a you know an influencer on whatever platform you're going to there's a reason that brands are coming to influencers individually and it's usually because they want to reach out to a real person who's speaking like a human (laughs) yes not a robot (laughs) are there other things that you sometimes see that are immediate turn-offs obviously you don't name names but um, have there been people who you've considered and then you've gone to their site or you've seen something on their Twitter and you thought, okay, no. (laughs) 
I think. Well, just this again. This is personal. It's just for me. But I have a, I have an issue with uh, grammar and punctuation. <laughs> So if it's quite clear that the content has been rushed and there's typos and and things like that, and it hasn't been kind of carefully combed over afterwards. So if I'm looking at someone working with another brand, and I see those kind of rushed errors, then for me that that's a bit of a turn off, just because it just shows the person maybe rushed rushed that piece of work and didn't give it as much. Yeah, it's a lack of professionalism. Yeah, exactly. And it's not to say that you know we all like grammar and punctuation. Not everyone's a pro at it, but at least I, I'm talking more about typos or kind of. Um, sure, you could. Everyone can run a spell check. Everyone can run a spell check, but also look just look for typos and, and continuity. And another thing that's a big turn off for me, which has happened when I've looked at someone's site or I've actually worked with people, is when they literally copy and paste things from the website or sometimes the email you've sent them so use your copy as their yes. own yes and it, it, it doesn't flow and it's like well, those are my wait hang on that's from my email <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's happened very rarely but just I think it's just whether the content's been carefully considered yeah whether they've put the time and effort in so it really sounds like and I guess as well if you're checking out people's social media and blogs are there kind of hallmarks that you see that let you know someone is of a certain standard so things like, I guess, probably difficult to even put into terms, but the professionalism of their blog layout, whether they're using a template, whether their profiles match on social media, is it things like that? I guess, again, coming back to what I was saying a minute ago about being careful, it's about the continuity. So going to each of their platforms and seeing that there's some cohesion there. Yes. And also, actually, what you're saying a minute ago about turnoffs as well, it's also how another thing that might turn off is how, how frequently people are working with brands and what they're saying and if it looks like a cash cow rather than a, a genuine uh, interest in in uh, those brands yeah because there are some blogs out there whose whole purpose is now just become to take sponsorships and it seems to be every single post yeah. which I have no judgment of that people you know we all make money how we can and if that's working for them then brilliant but I can see yeah. definitely from a brand perspective how that is less appealing than somebody whose mainstay of their content is genuine kind of mm. just from the heart stuff that when they then say oh and by the way here's a sponsored post their audience are going to be much more receptive to that in a different way yeah exactly so have you got any tips for someone who wants to get started in influencer marketing mm, I think it's still going back again to being authentic and being yourself I think some kind of quick tips to get directly to the person or brand that you want to speak to is going straight to the source mm -hmm. so I do this when I'm looking to work with another brand from a brand partnership point of view but I rather than kind of emailing hello at marketing.com <laughs> I might kind of scour Twitter and LinkedIn for the exact person that I want so type into Twitter marketing assistant uh, good food magazine for example yes. um, and try and find maybe the editor or the marketing assistant or somebody like that that I can speak to directly and I'll follow them and I'll say hi and I might engage with something that they've done beyond a work level and maybe say, oh, that looks delicious, for example. Or maybe say, if I can see they like cats, maybe be like, oh my God, I love cats too. Another thing as well, I found it's the best way to kind of get someone's attention when it comes to introducing and emailing is either just to go straight to Twitter and tweet them or DM them. Mm -hmm. Or if I do end up emailing, just to keep those initial comms really short and sweet, because a lot of people on the brand side and on the influencer side, we don't have oodles of time. Um, yes. And when you receive a really long email, you could be like, wow, this email's great. I must come back to it later. Yes. And you flag it and then you forget. Whereas if it literally just says like, can we make a cup of tea and have a chat that people can just say yes or no, it's a yes. very simple answer. So that really is the best way to kind of hook someone into uh, <laughs> into a new relationship. Absolutely. It's a lot like when you're pitching for magazines or newspapers, which I do quite a bit of as well. Yeah, you're trying to just get it all in that first sentence, even in the title. Mm so that they've got all the information they need to make a decision and say yes or no there and then because you don't want them to close that email and then risk them not coming back to you. Exactly, but I feel like if I receive an email and it's kind of laying out the pitch right there in front of me in like epic terms, it's great, but I might switch off. Whereas if it just says, I have an idea, can we talk about it? Then if I say yes, I'm clearly going to say yes then that person, you're kind of, it sounds terrible, but you're kind of uh, guilting them into talking to you further because they said yes, and then they kind of have an obligation to reply to you when you then do give them all of the information. Yeah, I don't think that sounds terrible. I think it is just effective communication. Exactly. Another thing as well, I guess, if you're new and emerging, um, is to, again, look at the brands that you want to work with and put them into those uh, tiers that I spoke about earlier. Um, 
but just start to include them in things and comment on the things that they're doing. Um, include them if you happen to have, you know, with the John Lewis example, if you happen to have bought something lovely from John Lewis. If you're taking photographs and putting them on social media anyway, why not tag the brand in it and speak to them and let them know that it's there? And that's really easy because if you genuinely are an ambassador of a brand and you really love them, it's already gonna, you're already going to be surrounded by it. So I guess that's quite an obvious thing to say. but No, I think a lot of people skip that step. I, I call it flirting. I'm like, go and flirt with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that they know you exist because it's much easier. And one of the nice things I do is if I flirt with a brand and I'm already following them at that point, then they recognize me and kind of follow me back. Then mm. I send a little message that says, hey, thanks so much for following. I'd love to work with you. Yeah. And it makes it sound like they've approached me. And it kind of like oh, psychologically, I think that works. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, we did follow her. We must want to work with her. Whereas actually, of course, it was me that initiated it. Yeah, exactly. It's like seduction. Seduction of brands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seduction. We're all mistresses of seduction. Exactly. Well, another thing that actually around um, communicating and flirting is that, again, brands and I know influencers are time poor. So if someone doesn't follow up to what you said, don't be disheartened. I get mm. emails sometimes that I flag and then I'm just like, oh, and it, it pops into my head again and again and I keep forgetting to reply sometimes what I tend to do if I'm after someone and they haven't replied I will say in the first instance did you get my email maybe on Twitter and they'll say yes I'm planning to reply and then a week goes by and they haven't and I don't want to say again did you get my email <laughs> so I tend to do something indirect like like something that they've done or comment on something that they've done and be like oh that looks like a delicious sandwich or, or whatever it is Clever. and that's like an, it's an indirect reminder that you need to reply to my email please <laughs> that's a really good way of doing it and when I'm working with big brands who I know are just completely swamped so like especially with big American brands yeah I've learned that it's worth to just rebump the email literally just resend the email sometimes so that it goes back mm -hmm. to the top of their inbox yeah because either they've decided Decided it's a no and they've not told you in which case you've got nothing to lose by sending them another email they're not going to be so incensed that they come after you you know they've just already decided against you or yeah. <laughs> it refreshes their memory and you get a reply and there's been times when I've been just absolutely obsessed with something needed something mm. to happen for my own self fulfillment mm. And that follow-up email has made it happen yeah exactly so yeah don't be don't be shy basically but just be nice and human about it. I have an autoresponder on my, my own emails and it does say on there, like if you've not heard back from me by the time you need to or it's getting a bit of a while, send me another email, bump this up in my inbox because yeah. I know what I'm like. I know that even with all of my systems and with the best will in the world, sometimes emails fall through the crack. Exactly, or sometimes you have the best intentions to reply to them, but you know, if it's not like a burning priority, but it's something interesting, it is more likely to kind of sit there for a little yeah. while and simmer. We need a word for those emails that you're like, oh, this is really good and I really want to give it some proper time. So I'm going to save mm. it until then. And then that then never comes. So yes. those emails disappear. And yeah, we need a word so we can say like, I'm sorry, I schnoozled you and people will know what it means. <laughs> schnoozled, maybe not being the word. <laughs> I'll give I'll give that some thought. Maybe it's like I put you. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to think about that and come back. <laughs> we'll work yeah. on it. We'll we'll get back to you. Yeah. So, was there anything else that we needed on that list of kind of? Ah, well, there's one thing which actually I think applies to emerging influences and then more established ones. Is actually um, I was talking earlier about showing results or stats or sentiment, mm. um, just just to give that person kind of a, a business nugget to take back to their team. But um, another thing that's really useful for me in terms of not only tiering who I want to work with is actually tiering the level of your pitch. So by that, I mean kind of the full out aggressive, let's go to town option, the kind of middleweight option and then the lightweight option. So like aggressive go to town might be like, let's throw a massive party. And that's all about tea and cake and do a huge influencer piece. Uh, the middle level might be like, let's do an online Twitter chat, which is kind of like a party, but online. Mm -hmm. And then the lower the lower pitch option might just be, let's just um, all drink tea on our own social channels in our own time and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then showing the kind of price scale against that and what a brand might expect to receive. So for me, what's really, really important to know relative to cost is how smart or hard the content works. So, for example, when I'm approached by advertisers, it really annoys me when they just say, hey, we have a space for £500 if you want it. Whereas if someone said, we have a space, but we're writing an article with the whole magazine's themed around green tea and there's going to be loads of recipes and lifestyle tips and content in there around green tea, we'd love for you to advertise your green tea, but also maybe weave some of your stories throughout the editorial content 
I mean, that's just great. That's a huge green light because that person's showing how important and how hard that piece of content can work. Yeah, how relevant it is. Exactly. Rather than just saying you can just advertise or you could advertise, but have a bigger space and then weave it through. And they'll kind of show me the levels or the scale of cost and what I could get for that cost. And that really helps me to make the decision. Um, and it works the same with influencers. So if I'm working on a teen food pairing that's great because it's it's lovely and it's beautiful on, the, on that person's channels. But if I can work with them in a way that that can then find its way into our newsletter, onto our blog, onto our social, if we can use it internally to inspire like the rest of the staff to drink tea and, and make food at home and like get excited about it, like that that goes really really far and that's really so much more interesting than just can we do this full stop? Like it's really nice to have a scale and have like a level of, of different things you could get depending on how much you're willing to invest. Yeah, the added value. And then from the influencer perspective, it kind of fits in with some of the advice I often give, which is it's kind of an upsell. So if mm. someone contacts you and says, I want two Instagram posts, how much do you charge? You can say, mm. oh, you know, I charge whatever, 200 pounds per post. But if you want three, and a tweet, mm. it is this much. And if you want a blog post as well, I can do you a discount and it'll be this mm. much. And kind of, it, yeah, giving that portfolio of options, like you say, it shows the value. It shows that you've kind of considered their objectives. Yeah, absolutely. As a brand. And you understand that it's a marketing initiative and it's not just about that pretty picture that disappears and that's the end of it. Exactly, yeah. It quite often results in a better opportunity for you as an influencer as well. So it's win-win. Exactly. So that's always, when I get an email like that, I'm just like, yes. Because you've kind of almost partly done a bit of my job for me not massively but just that little bit of extra detail or care just makes it easier for me to make the decision and easier for me to say to my team this is the opportunity shall we go for it that makes a lot of sense what what do we need so it's great when I am talking to people about their pitches to brands Mm. they always want to know what stats they need to include how important Mm. is it in that initial pitch to you which are the stats that you're looking for that kind of give you a ballpark figure of what level of influencer somebody is Mm. do you want Instagram followings or would you rather know how many likes per picture they get or would you rather know page views on their blog Mm, interesting question so I'm thinking about so when I'm creating like my spreadsheet and I'm filling it in with different sections I tend to have like name, URL, (laughs) uh, contact email, and then I might have things like, I don't tend to go down to the final number, but I might kind of scan across the social channels and add up approximately what the followers are. So Uh for example, so I'll do that. So I mean, I know some brands that will go to the detail of having like Twitter followers, Instagram followers, Facebook followers, Pinterest followers, and they'll have columns for each and they'll put in each section exactly how many followers there are but I'll tend to add it up to a certain I'll round it up to a number and then um, put that in instead but that's me doing that from the information I have so I I guess if someone was pitching to me I would like to probably see yeah name URL (laughs) obviously social channel followings one thing that's not so relevant anymore for SEO but I still like to see it is domain authority which just shows how kind of powerful and relevant your website is, mm. um, which you can find out how to do that by going to Open Site Explorer. It's like a free tool online. If you put in your URL, it will tell you what your domain authority is and then just show you your domain authority can be improved by how many people are linking back to your website. So, for example, if you have a blog and you've been linked back to by The Guardian and The Times and, I don't know, Half Post, for example, your domain authority is probably going to be a lot higher than someone who doesn't have any links going back to their site at all and it just that for me is just a bit old school but useful to just to know kind of how old your website is how many people are talking about you it's just another indicator of of how much of presence yeah of presence so I still do include that because I'm just old school what else I might also have a little note section and in there I'll type things that are more personal such as like the level of photography and how how fitting the aesthetic is so I suppose just to summarize everything I've just waffled on about like if you had a like a media kit but one that's maybe a little bit more tailored to who you're approaching so media kits I find are really useful but a bit cold whereas if it was like a one slide that had your general following and then a couple of examples of things that you've done because obviously I work with the tea brand I might want to see other things you've done with tea or coffee or hot drinks or lifestyle just a few kind of images or an overall snapshot or picture for me is really useful of of you and and your uh, story and your authority as well that makes a lot of sense what I will try and do actually for this podcast is attach like a template for a media kit because that's something I know a lot of people have no idea where to start with what on earth to put Mm. into one 
Although I do find I get asked for it less and less now. And I don't know if that is a general trend and that people are not really looking at them anymore or if that is to do with the level I'm at in terms of as an influencer if people don't need to see it anymore. Do you still send out requests for media kits or not so much? Not so much. I will normally just do my own research and have a look and scan and see what I think, like I said, quite instinctively. I suppose there are some brands who, who want it all just on paper to go and take and show to somebody else. It must depend on how you work. Exactly, yeah, it does depend because sometimes I will have to go back and say, hey, this person is charging quite a lot, but this is why I think we should work with them. So anything I can take in my arsenal um, is really, really useful to do that. I can do that research myself, but of course it does help to have a bridge. Uh, the, most of the time when I request media kits, it might be more from a big publication because that's where you know they're asking for quite a lot of money and you want to know who their demographic is. And you want to know that you're, I guess, with a, an article in a magazine, it's in that magazine once and then it's gone. It's not evergreen in the same way that influencer content is. So you have to really be kind of careful and ask for a media kit in those instances. Yeah, and get your value for money. Exactly. Whereas with influencers, it's a bit softer because you know that it's going to be there forever. Well, at least from a at least from a blog point of view, you know that it's going to be there forever. So, so in terms of the channels that you think people are using most for influencer marketing would it still be blog and instagram above all else and youtube of course yeah i think so and i find the whole instagram thing really interesting because it clearly works as a channel of influence but the biggest thing for brands is kind of reporting on uh, return of investment and with instagram that's so difficult to do mm. because there isn't really a very there are analytics platforms but they're not great it's really hard just to say like we did this and it resulted in this like black and white obviously you can show there's been an increase in sales or attention or whatever that is but I just find because it's so it's quite vague and it is quite time conscious actually what I tend to go for above all is blog content because then I can see it it's always there I can literally go to Google Analytics and measure how many people clicked through and how much time they spent on the site and how influenced they were by this piece of content whereas Instagram I can't I can't see all of those things but I at the same time, Instagram is so beautiful and such a great storytelling platform. So I think there's this kind of two levels there where I kind of instinctively lean towards blog because it's easier for me to measure and report back on. But Instagram as well, because it is just so it's so great for telling a story. Yeah, and a quick it's so engaging, snapshot. isn't it? So, yeah, I think for me, yeah, for me, it's blog, blog and Instagram. And I think it's there's something really key in the fact that and this is definitely backed up by the, the approaches I get it is still the visual channels that marketers really want to work with so it's YouTube it's blog it's Instagram it's the places where you can share images or video of the product so obviously I have the podcast which people are so engaged with this podcast it, I feel like it's probably one of my most engaged platforms at the moment where the most conversation comes from and Twitter is like you know there's so much conversation on Twitter mm. but it doesn't appeal in the same way to marketers. And I think in the end that comes down to that visual element. Well, there's two two things you said there that just sparked something else, else in my head, which was podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. For me, like that's evergreen content that I can use again and again and again for years. Yeah. Um, so actually podcasts are really interesting and I hadn't considered that, but I think that brilliant but also Pinterest actually Pinterest is great in terms of the fact that it's again it's evergreen it's like the visual Google search mm. and that's incredible because it, and it also clicks through to a website or another social channel or a podcast it, you know it's it's like the window to somewhere so I think Pinterest doesn't get a lot of love or attention but actually it's incredible because it's basically like a Google search result with a brilliant image that clicks through to somewhere and it's actually it's evergreen it's there it's just it's brilliant absolutely and from a brand perspective like it could be quite a budget option because people don't necessarily need to create their own content to pin it to their boards mm, no they need to just create a window that clicks through to wherever you want to be sending them through to whether that's to read research or do something yeah so it's it's interesting that and I found this kind of over the years we, we you mentioned at the start how things have changed over the last four years but Sometimes I feel like as an industry, influence marketing can be kind of slow to react. So it can be slow to kind of pick up on things like podcasts or like Pinterest. And I suppose that comes from the fact that everyone's got relatively small budgets and they have to report back to people who understand the industry a lot less. Mm, yeah, exactly. So you end up having to go with safer options, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, always. Um, another thing that's really interesting there when you say having small budgets, like four or five years ago, there weren't any budgets. <laughs> no. It was so hard. 
but it's it's getting there and it's getting better. So. Yeah, and someone was telling me that this year is predicted to be like the year of the influencer with lots of budgets coming back to that kind of marketing, which is exciting. And it's really exciting. I don't I don't have to like you know compared to I mean it's still difficult now sometimes to kind of sell something through to kind of those people right at the top of the business who don't necessarily um use social media or understand influencers themselves. It's, yeah, it's just amazing how much how much less difficult it was than five years ago. Five years ago, it was like trying to fly, whereas now it's. I think people are really starting to understand it more, and it's just as long as you can give that person as much as they can to take back, like this, it's brilliant. It's, it's such an amazing revolution. It feels like a great thing for everybody. It feels like it's a great thing for consumers. It's a great thing for brands. And it's also creating this whole new opportunity for work and for earning potential for people who are doing what they love and sharing content with lots of passion and lots of heart. So the other thing that people can get really stuck on then is how much to charge Mm -hmm. and when to work for free and when to push for more money. Have you got any guidance around that? Yeah, so I think it comes back to the the tiering thing that I keep talking about because it's just so useful as a kind of benchmark or blueprint for what you're doing. I think if you have that, when a brand approaches you, it makes it so much easier to either stand your ground or back down a little bit and say, actually, maybe I won't charge this much, but what's really valuable to me that's not monetary would be to host a co-host a workshop together. Or could you, I've got a big conference coming up, do you suppose you could supply product for me to use there and actually you're scratching my back and I'm scratching yours. So yeah, having that system just makes it so much easier to either be more flexible or be be more rigid. It's something I've definitely got better at as... I've got more experience and I guess more confident mm. and also when my income is no longer solely dependent on my influencer work that has really helped give me that perspective and I know it's that thing where you get an email and you think well if I reply and they never come back to me how devastated am I going to be mm. and that can help you decide how much you go in at and if you're going to be utterly devastated then you obviously are going to pitch a bit lower because this is something that means something to you beyond purely the work and the income it's obviously a campaign that you really want to do for whatever reason and if it's something where it's a really unpopular product you know like say you get I don't know like a diarrhea medication pitch (laughs) in your inbox then realistically they know that's going to be an unpopular option and they're going to have a bigger budget I suspect to accommodate for the fact that it's not super appealing content like doing your beautiful road tea is a very mm. different proposition to trying to photograph diarrhea medication so exactly yeah. I mean I hope that you wouldn't even try and photograph no I don't think it's on brand for me sadly oh, <laughs> shame you're breaking some hearts out there <laughs> uh, yeah I guess the question is every time you get into this conversation with a brand is just to ask yourself what is working with this brand worth to you and if you are going to back down how else can you get mutual value from it But yeah, and also not to be afraid to remind that person if you have a good relationship with them that that's what you're doing. So like sometimes I might not have much budget and be like, I suppose you want to help me with this. Do you want to do this? And that person will say, might not reply because they're annoyed with me for even asking in the first place. Or they might just stand their ground and say, no, this is how much I charge, but this is what you're going to get. Yeah. Like don't forget that. And then it kind of puts me in my place and I'm like, okay, okay. And I will, um, I will back down. Yeah. It's a human thing. Yeah. But that would come from a good, from a good, having a good relationship. relationship or friendship with that person to begin with yeah it makes those conversations much easier to have exactly it does make them much easier to have and then the only other thing I wanted to mention was if again if you're emerging an emerging influencer would be to guess ahead so of course we we know every year it's the same you've got spring summer autumn winter you've got mother's day father's day christmas like if you're looking for an in with a brand maybe actually look at what you know they need to create content for such as national donut day i don't know whatever (laughs) it is like actually kind of plan out a calendar for the year of events and things that you know are really important within the industry that you're you're working in so lifestyle that could be lots of different things janet murray actually i'll stick a link in the notes she has a calendar that she does every year like a a diary and it has all of those dates and like all the PR dates of the year you know when it's like Mm -hmm. national my cat is my best friend day or whatever they're called can I really I need that calendar in my life 
It's so hard to find one calendar that just has all of the ridiculous national meh 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 yeah. days. She makes it. Yeah, I'll wake up and it'll be like, I don't know, National Pie Day. And I'm like, damn it, I could have paired a nice yeah. tea with a pie and I didn't know. <laughs> also, what a gift it would be if a month or two before an influencer emailed you and said, as you may be aware, National Pie Day is coming up next month. Yeah. And I'd like to create something for you. Like, I just, that just must tick so many boxes for people. Yeah, and also from a lifestyle point of view, that gifting, there's so many gifting occasions throughout the year. So if you were like, can we work together on an ongoing gifting basis where when it comes to, I don't know, the different times of year, I either help you with a guide or I, I, you know, I become like a tea gift nerd and I want to give, I want everyone to drink tea because I love it so much. So uh, on Valentine's Day, I'm going to find the perfect kind of a tea for my boyfriend. When the equinox is here, I'm going to find something that's uh, caffeine free, but like perfectly incorporated with this beautiful lifestyle that's and all the stuff that's going on around this time on social media and everyone's getting really excited about the seasons and whatnot. Like there's definite ways that you can guess ahead and kind of scratch the back of uh, brands and yourself because for you that's also really they're really busy times on social media and, and they tend to get a lot more engagement so yeah. and they come around every year they come around every year they do the final thing that I was going to ask you about is there's been a lot of talk lately including from me about people who are using maybe slightly shady tactics to grow their following with an aim to doing more influencer work I think that's primarily the reason that people do it so they buy followers they buy likes they maybe use some of these followers to unfollow bot techniques to artificially inflate their audience what are some of the kind of warning signs for you that someone might have been doing that well as an individual when they follow my account and write something completely vague on my post (laughs) I really just sometimes want to write back and say something rude on on my own account and even sometimes with work I'll get something and I just I'm like no I can't I can't do it (laughs) but I think for me like it's it's really obvious and it's just so gross don't do it I know it's hard and I know you really want to get there and you want to have this like great big audience but a slow and steady wins the race like and again if you're working with brands that have integrity they will understand that. So again, coming back to what I said earlier, if you have 10 followers, but you know, all 10 of them are engaged versus 10,000 and only 10 of them are engaged. Like, it's obvious, it's telling. I mean, some brands are working on a very quick turnaround. So they're just kind of churning things out. But actually, the ones that really take their time and really care are the ones that are going to pay attention to how authentic you really are. And if that's, you know, if your influencer marketing is something that you want to do ongoing, you need to kind of build it slow and steady and authentically rather than just kind of rushing in because it's just going to, it will just come crashing down. Absolutely. And in terms of that sort of return for the investment that you're talking about that brands like to monitor, Mm. I think that's something that these people don't necessarily take into account when they are growing these followings because it might look fantastic to have 60,000 Instagram followers Mm. and you might even be able to have enough likes for that to look valid and genuine but if you then do a sponsored campaign and nobody clicks over nobody follows the brand nobody engages with it because they're only following you because you follow them and it's all reciprocal bot likes and nobody is actually looking at the picture then that brand's not going to come back to you a second time they're going to see that it was completely worthless and if you want to build a career from this, if you want influence marketing to be part of your regular income, you need those relationships where they come back to you again and again. Mm, exactly. And I think there's another area within this kind of fake following or disengaged following that's quite frustrating for a lot of people is that if you do have a really large following, but a low engagement rate, sometimes that might be because you've been put onto an editorial list and you've suddenly got lots of new people uh, or new people to Instagram or Pinterest, for example, following you, and they're mm. not that not that well engaged. Like, don't fret because I can see sometimes when that's happened. But what I'm looking at with the engagement, even if the rate is slightly lower, just exactly the quality or the sentiment behind what people are saying. So even if you had like. I don't know, 5,000 likes, but only 10 comments. If those comments were really good quality and really interesting and really engaged, I think I still would be like, ah, okay. Whereas, and you can see the difference behind someone who might have suddenly grown exponentially because they happen to be put on an editorial list or someone that's using shady tactics because the ones that are using shady tactics still aren't going to have very good quality comments or sentiment behind the area where there is engagement, whereas someone who is more genuine will. Yeah, there are definitely hallmarks. And you can usually tell from the content itself. You can look at it and think, well, this deserves a big audience. Mm. You know, you're doing some really beautiful photography or it's really skilled writing. And I can see why you would have been featured somewhere. Yeah. Versus you look at things and you think, what 
the hell? <laughs> your following just doesn't quite match up. And that is the problem I have in the end with these techniques is you could be putting that energy into your content instead. And that will yeah. always, always pay off more in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned to you just before we started recording about the website Social Blade. I think it's just socialblade.com. And I know lots of brands are using that now. So it constantly tracks everybody's following on everything. And you can go and you can type in anyone's username and the platform and it will show you something like the last seven days, but I think you can dig a bit deeper as well of how many people they've followed and how many they've unfollowed in that time period every day. So it's really telling because immediately for something like Instagram, you can see if someone's following and unfollowing 500 people a day, you know exactly what they're up to and it will show huge spikes. And sometimes a spike can be attributed to something. So if you've suddenly you know, had a feature from Instagram or made it onto the explore page for lots of people, you might have gained hundreds of followers in a day. Yeah. But that's always traceable. Someone can then go back to your Instagram page and find the picture that corresponds to and it all makes sense. Exactly. I'm just actually just looking at mine now. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. It's really fascinating reading. And you can see who's declining, who's losing followers at a steady pace. So yeah. I think brands are getting more savvy and it's getting tougher out there for people and you you have to really focus on the stuff that works and mm. step away from those things that are maybe sort of artificial crutches Absolutely, yeah. to help because it, it's, it is a scary time and I know people are just trying to make ends meet and they're just trying to keep themselves afloat so there's never any judgment from me but I do think we want everybody to be doing it the right way for themselves but also for the longevity of what what it is they do Mm, exactly and just just to keep fueling this incredible I keep saying it it's quite sad but keep fueling this really incredible revolution of uh of consumer-led or customer-led or just human-led uh content yes Because for every campaign that was reliant on a disengaged following and therefore didn't work, that is a brand that's going to think twice before they do a second campaign with any influencer. And it's taking opportunities away from everybody. So we all need to be on the same page about how we make it happen. Exactly. Thank you so much, Sally. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Where can people find both you and Jing online? Ah, Well, you can find me anywhere under the Cafe Cat. Um, across all channels and then uh, similarly Jing Tea that's J-I-N-G Jing Tea is the handle and the website for for the tea company so please come on over and please do say hello if you're a tea lover come and say hi and let's drink some tea together (laughs) they do everybody they do the most amazing rosebud tea not only does it look like an Instagram dream but it actually tastes nice because sometimes I find herbal teas taste a bit like cat wee but Jing Teas Mm -hmm. don't that is you can put that on your website if you like doesn't I'm gonna gonna put that (laughs) be a takeover on the homepage. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much sally well thanks <laughs> so the show notes for today's episode are at meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 15 that's where you'll find the download link for that media kit sample i spoke about and links to all of sally's profiles the jing tea profiles and everything we've talked about today you will also see there the link to that shadow banning post that I mentioned at the beginning to you guys as well and links to my social media if you want to send me your questions for the Q&A podcast. Also one last thing if you're enjoying listening to the show it really really helps me if you can leave me a review in iTunes I'll stick the link in the show notes as well. You're able to leave a review for every episode you listen to if you want to but any you do leave are really helpful to me it helps iTunes to suggest the podcast to other people who it will help and it helps me get my message out so thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Bye.